I've discussed in the past my jigsaw puzzle prowess. I'm pretty amazing. Basically, I come alongside my wife, Heather, who's usually the one doing the puzzle because I like to be near her. And then my next goal is to get one piece to fit. And I'm wildly successful in meeting my goals, I'll tell you. The other day we got a puzzle out just to see if our house guest, kind of new daughter, Pauli, would be interested. Uh, not to brag, but I got all of the border pieces all pulled out of the pile. And that's pretty amazing, as one does. Um, I even put some of them together, you know, like five or so. Um, the border, though, we know, is a very important part of it. But even then, I had to use the box lid. <laughs> And, and, and that, you know, the box lid has the complete picture on it, right? So, so here's the scandal, right? Heather, my wife, rejects the box lid strategy. You'll have to inquire directly uh, what she really thinks of those like me who refer to the complete picture. I'm a little afraid to ask. Um, however, for, for many of us, the Old Testament is like a jumble of puzzle pieces, Many don't have a clue how the pieces fit together to make things worse because many haven't even read much of this Hebrew meditation literature. Most of the pieces are still upside down. You haven't even sorted the pieces yet. So I understand the intimidation, especially with the puzzle analogy. But just, just grab your Bible, hold it up. The New Testament, with its announcement of Jesus as the suffering dying, resurrected Messiah of Israel, and therefore the ascended true Lord of the world, completes the picture. It's the box lid. Now you have the full picture, all the clues, and a strand of red running through, tying all of the Old Testament puzzle pieces together and topping it off with a crown. And, and what a time to be alive. The Bible is translated in almost every language on earth. There's a little work to do, but available with the click of a button. Right? This, this living hope of salvation that we've been talking about in the past weeks is secured by the resurrection of Jesus and is guaranteed by the Spirit who lives in you. And it's also laying right in front of you in the trusted sacred text of Holy Scripture. This is not always the case, but, but Peter says that even 2,000 years ago in, in what's modern-day Turkey, we, they, are now part of a privileged chosen people who have the mysteries revealed. Here's our text, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or, or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, the basic point of the passage is the contrast of the past and the present. Okay, this is, this is a way to simplify it. In the past, the prophets prophesied these things that in the present, the evangelists have now preached to you. In the past, the Spirit revealed future things to the prophets, but in the present, 
Now the Spirit has told you the same things through the evangelists. In the past, prophets inquired into the circumstances or time of the Messiah's sufferings and glories, and, and even in the present, angels eagerly desire to look into the Messiah's sufferings and glories. <laughs> it doesn't make sense from their spiritual perspective. Now, Karen Jobes, who's, who's been a great asset in studying Peter, says Peter compares their knowledge of God's redemptive work with that of both the prophets and the angels and finds that his reader's knowledge is superior to both. Comparison with the first group situates Peter's readers as privileged historically, and with the second group, right, the angels, privileged cosmically. <laughs> Did you know you were part of this? So as I study this passage, the thing that caught my interest most was the, the weird comment about the angels. Now, God's holy angels versus what we think dark angels, right? Don't we consider spiritual beings to be pretty aware of what's happening beyond the veil? Aware of God's work and, and we're the ones in the dark? The ones we call angels are serving God's purposes. But even then, they don't necessarily understand the mind of God. The dark powers are opposing him. But, but either way, my assumption is that we don't see God's activity very much in the spiritual realm like the divine beings do. So it's, it's curious. So let's save a spot in our brain to think through this in a few minutes, okay? But let's start with just what do the prophets know and, and how do they know it? Maybe this is new to you. We'll, we'll talk about the curious role of the prophet in the Old Testament and, and the interaction with what's called the Spirit of the Messiah, Spirit of Christ. So it's becoming clear in our passage that the prophets didn't fully understand all that the Holy Spirit of God had authored through them. So a prophet speaks the word, and often we see that his or her life kind of was the message, the way they lived it out among the people. Tom Wright says, The prophets were people who stood on the borders between heaven and earth. Okay, stop there. Uh, the borders between heaven and earth, wh where are they? Well, it, it's more like that veil, that other realm that we're not always <laughs> privileged to. But the prophets stand on that border between heaven and earth. He goes on to say, between our present time and God's future time. They came to know God so well, which was a very painful experience, as some of them discovered. They got to, came to know God so well that they could discern discern the shape of his plan to rescue the world through the sufferings of his chosen one, his anointed, his Messiah, and then to establish the Messiah in glory, that is, as the sovereign over the world. Hmm. That's what they started to piece together and understand. So the prophets, if they were considered true prophets, stood in the divine courtroom where God's proceedings were going on. And they would listen in and then they would receive their commissions. If you want to go back and look in the Old Testament, kind of go to the first parts of each one of these books and, and say, how did this all happen? You'll see it. They, they would either stand before God, before the throne, uh, and, and receive it that way. Or the word, capital W, would come and stand before them. The word, this visible Yahweh, um, 
the invisible Yahweh would be the Father, and the visible Yahweh would be the Word. Um, he was the one we would come later to call Jesus. So they would, he would come stand before them and, and pre preach to them, give them the Word. Or the Spirit of Yahweh would come upon a person, and they would preach and predict. They would comfort, and, and they would confront a king's court or a nation as a whole. So here the, the puzzle box lid of the New Testament is crucial. What name does Peter call the Spirit of Yahweh? Yeah, it's the Spirit of Christ. Jesus, the Son, God the Father, the Holy Spirit are all wrapped up in one line. The Spirit of Christ was telling them what to say. And Peter will talk more about this in the next letter. So let's take a peek. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. This will help us answer what does Peter know and how does he know it? He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus the King, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Wow. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's becoming clear that the prophets did not fully understand all that the Holy Spirit of God had, had authored through them, especially around the idea of timing. We could tell that some prophets were interpreting other prophets, so we know they had access to the other writings. I'm imagining some of them getting together and, and talking about similar threads that they didn't quite understand. You know, did you get that bit about Yahweh coming to do the job himself? To fulfill both halves of the covenant, both halves of the handshake? Well, kind of, but, but the Spirit told me about the Messiah, that he would be human and that he would suffer. Yeah, that's a bit strange, right? So get this, if you are in Christ, I don't want you to get your heads too big, but if you are in Christ, in the church, you may be the most important person your friends and neighbors know, because you have the puzzle box lid. Okay, in Matthew 13, 17, Jesus tells his disciples, truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. Paul in Ephesians 3.10 says, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the church, we're showing the dark powers, the rulers and authorities, dark powers and the powers of the kingdom of God, what God's purposes are. 
It's, it's amazing. The wisdom of God is being revealed. Okay, in the Bible lesson that I'd give my life to be a part of, and maybe in some sense I have, Jesus, in Luke 24, 25 through 27, is talking to some disciples after the resurrection and shows the puzzle box lid in its entirety. <laughs> he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart, slow, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that that the Christ should suffer these things and, and enter into his glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. So I know I've made this point over and over and over. Peter is explaining the complete picture. The perfected puzzle of scripture has Christ all over it. He is the puzzle box lid that makes it all make sense. He's the Lion of Judah who takes on all comers through authority and strength. And he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world through humility and suffering. And Peter's revealing the, the continuity of the faith with the prophets in the Old Testament. This is not a new religion. It's a completion of Yahweh worship. Okay, do you, do you get that? Jesus didn't swipe the puzzle pieces off the table. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. Jesus wasn't slaving. Peter wasn't slaving over his Hebrew scrolls in an intellectual journey when he became convinced about Jesus. Jesus walked up to him and called him to follow him. Peter fell to his knees and tried to warn Jesus off about what a sinner he was, but, but soon he follows Jesus and learns the hard way about the path through suffering to glory. And for Peter, the temporary suffering and future glory of Jesus was a pattern, a model for his readers. So yes, that you've lost privilege and status in your society because of Jesus. But guess what? You're in a privileged position. They're in the know. They have the truth. It's all part of the plan that the prophets began to understand, and now you have the perfected puzzle. <laughs> Job's again writes this, This is to be a strong word of encouragement to them to not give up on Jesus Christ. Christ's suffering and his glory extend to his followers. Okay, so I think I've done enough work on the question of what do the prophets know? What does Peter know? How does he know it? Let's, if you'll give me just a few more minutes, let's take an excursion into what angels know and, and how they know it. What's behind the curtain, the veil of the spiritual realm? And how can we put these pieces together from what we know in scripture? At the end of our passage, verse 12, we have the curious line, things into which angels long to look. So angels are messengers. That's what the name means. Messengers of God's kingdom of light. And it's, it's odd that they are still curious. So what is known beyond the veil? What secrets, what mysteries does God keep to himself? Well, certainly the mystery of a suffering and and dying Messiah has got to be strange to an angel who spends his time saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But we also know the dark side, and there's some clues about that too. So take a walk on the dark side with me. It's evident from the gospel accounts of Jesus' encounters with Satan, especially in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, and with the casting out of demons that the powers of darkness knew who Jesus was. Right. He's identified in these episodes as the Son of God or the Son of the Most High. But 
these identifications don't mean that Satan and the evil spirits know God's plan for the death of Jesus, his resurrection and ascension. And our passage today shows that even God's holy angels don't have the whole picture. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 6-8, Paul makes this clear that, that certainly the human authorities had no clue, but even the dark supernatural forces did not understand what was happening. Okay, read this with me. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-8, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Okay, that's mysterious. I get that. And this is what the New Testament is about. But he says this in verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this. And we're talking about dark powers. Of course, the human powers didn't understand it, but, but the dark spiritual forces None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus baited them in to come around him and crucify him. And if they had known who he was, they would not have done it. If they'd known what was the plan, they would not have done it. Hmm. So the plan was hidden in plain sight. And it was layered in various places in the prophets. It's all like puzzle pieces, I get that. But when put together and laid before us, it starts to make sense. But even the brightest minds had to have the Spirit reveal it to them. Even after the resurrection, in the presence of the risen Christ himself, Jesus had to open their minds to understand the scriptures. And the plan of salvation and its relationship to the Old Testament scriptures had to be revealed supernaturally. There's no reason to expect that the powers of darkness would be given that kind of understanding. Let's go back on this little tour of the dark powers where it began in the first pages of the Bible. On the fourth day of creation, God created the supernatural beings to rule in the heavens, kind of symbolized as the stars in the sky, and then worshipped by a lot of people as the stars in the sky, right? This was God's spiritual family. They're actually called the sons of God. And then on the sixth day, he made humans out of dirt and announced his intention to rule over creation through Adam and Eve and their offspring. Right? Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. So what were these human newcomers compared to the divine sons of God? What's with this human family that God's up to? Why did God want to make his dwelling place with humans on earth when he had a perfectly good family in the spiritual realm? It seems that one of these divine sons of God, who we now call Satan, was jealous of God's plan to live amongst humans and to allow them to rule over creation. Now, even the poet King David was mystified. Why would God want to partner with humans? But that's the main point of Eden, isn't it? God coming down. David wrote and saying this, Psalm 8, 5 through 6. You've made humans a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. <laughs> There's cause for human and angelic mystery and, and, of course, majesty to God alone. 
So what are these earth creatures, these creatures made of dirt, doing running the show? So if you're tracking with me, you, you might see that jealousy seems the likely outcome of the human job description, and jealousy is likely the cause of the fall of Satan, who's described in serpent-like terms, right, in Genesis chapter 3. I know I'm assuming a lot of background knowledge here, but, but this is page 3 of the Bible. Satan comes to ruin God's human project and does indeed succeed in deceiving humans into not trusting the heart of God. If they had trusted in the heart of God, they would eat the tree of life and they would rule forever. And, but Satan, the serpent, almost certainly his, guard, his job was to guard the tree of life as a type of divine being called seraphim. And that was before he rebelled in the garden. Seraphim is the Hebrew plural for snake, multiple snakes. And just for a second, imagine the Hebrew context coming out of Egypt. So what are they thinking about when they think of snakes, right? Uh, well, they're thinking of the cobra and the hooded cobra that looks like wings. That would be temple guardians there as well. So this is a lot, but the seraphim must be the type of divine being charged with being a throne guardian and kind of has the winged look and the, the fire in his venom. But then Satan rebelled, deceived the humans, <laughs> introduced human death into God's good world, and he lost his job. Maybe in that sense, stripped of his wings and was forever set in his heart to ruin the human project of God ruling earth through humans. Now, God made covenant after covenant with certain humans to bring back his rule and reign because he wants to rule through humans. But they weren't the best covenant partners, right? <laughs> so the only way to ensure a solid covenant was to covenant with himself. That's that handshake. So stay with me, I'm almost done. The covenant name for the supreme creator God was Yahweh. And he would take on humanity himself, make a covenant with himself. God the Father, God the Son, Right? Jesus then becomes the new human representative, occupied the central role of covenant fulfillment as the descendant of Adam and Abraham and David, where these covenants were made. And it would be perfectly reasonable for Satan and demons to discern that the Son of the Most High had come to earth to inaugurate the kingdom of his Father, reclaim the nations of the earth, to bring them into membership in his kingdom. So how could they miss that? But I think what they missed was that Jesus accomplished that through his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the throne. And then to operate through his people by the Spirit. Yeah, they, they missed that bit. And it threw off a lot of people. And it still does. Suffering as the pathway. The cross was a stumbling block a tripping hazard for the Jewish people and foolishness to the rest. So where can we land this? Well, some puzzles God conceals, right? Not everybody's going to hear it. The, uh, not everybody's going to know it. For instance, the time of Jesus' return from heaven to remake earth, 
That's a puzzle many are trying to solve. Uh, many people today are attempting to figure out the next major prophetic event in the timeline for world history according to the Bible. <sighs> Am I right? Okay, let's just say they're obsessed with it. Well, just a word of caution. If the timing and purpose of the first coming of Jesus was cloaked, even for angels, what makes us think that the second coming is going to be that obvious? Okay, just settle down a little bit. At the end of the day, and at the end of the world, the message is the same. Be ready, at a moment's notice, to meet your maker. Right? That's enough right now. So some puzzles God conceals for a time and for all time. Praise be to God. We don't need to know everything. But some puzzles God reveals. Let me ask this in a difficult way. What's your best excuse for not turning over the pieces to the puzzle to begin to sort them? Why don't you read your Bible? <laughs> the box lid is there for looking at. The opportunity is there. The training is there. Bible Project, I'll just commend them to you. Bible Project has amazing tools for you to dive as deep or as shallow as you like. Follow their videos, join their classes, read along in the Bible with them, listen to their podcast, all for free. Another question, with whom could you meditate on Scripture? You've got to read Scripture in community. Now, I've offered this before, and I'll offer it again. Um, for 26 months now, <laughs> I've been sharing a daily 90-second video with groups as we meditate through the Scripture, like a chapter at a time, every day. We're halfway through the Minor Prophets. That's the section of the books at the end of the Old Testament that have people like uh, Obadiah, Micah, Zechariah. And we're sharing perspective as we muddle and meditate through them together. You're welcome to join that. Reach out to me. I've got groups. I've got even, <laughs> I've got groups all over, all over the place in our church and, and bridging outside our church and outside our continent. And we can get you connected with some people. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who suffered and died, fulfilling the Old Testament and has been declared by his resurrection to be the true Lord of the world. Let's be the kind of people who take advantage of the privileged position we have and look at the word. Take Jesus at his word because he is the word. And let's prepare for his coming when he brings new creation with him. We can do this, church.